950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Brett and Eric on your Tuesday afternoon. Glad to have you with us. We are live for the first half of the show, but the second half of the show, i got to take off. I am streaming a boys hockey game in Rogers, and I'm actually really interested in doing this one. Not that I'm not interested in all the games that I do, but what's notable about the Rogers boys hockey team is that their starting goalie actually is a girl. One of, I think, the, uh, she might be one of only two people who are actually a girl that play boys high school hockey. So at least wow. kind of that to look forward to. Yeah. It's actually kind of been a trend in Minnesota over the past few years for goaltenders who are going Division One that are girls. They actually want to play against boys to get more competition before they actually move on to that higher level. So kind of looking forward to that. So that's where I'll be tonight. But in the second half of the show, though, we are pre recorded, but I do have a good conversation line up for you as I'll be speaking with Larry Korb, who is a former assistant secretary of defense as we're going to be talking about Iran. What happened to get some background on this guy, Soleimani, who it's very much not a black and white situation when it comes to this guy because he was actually very instrumental in actually defeating ISIS. So even though you often see this portrayed even by the corporate media and obviously by people who are on the conservative side of the aisle as saying that things are black and white and people in Iran are evil, that's not necessarily the case, especially with this Soleimani guy. Obviously, he's done a lot of bad things during his time, but – I kind of compare this to even Saddam Hussein back like in 2002 and 2003. Obviously, Saddam Hussein, not the greatest guy in the world, but you know what? He did not like terrorists. And I think you could have actually leveraged him to actually fight terrorism, similar to this Soleimani guy who was not a fan of ISIS whatsoever. So in the second half of the show, we'll be speaking with Larry Korb, again, a former assistant secretary of defense, foreign policy expert, as we're going to be talking about Soleimani and what could happen when Iran eventually does retaliate against the United States, because... Even though, as I predicted yesterday, I don't think we're going to end up in a full-scale war with Iran. Boy, one thing did make me nervous that occurred yesterday, and that was the speech by Mike Pence, where he tried to tie Soleimani to 9-11, which obviously is completely wrong. But the nerve-wracking part about that statement is that if you remember that resolution that was passed, I think, back in 2002, basically if someone is tied to those 9-11 terrorist attacks, you can have a unilateral uh, military action, which is what Bush used, obviously, to invade Iraq and Afghanistan. And so that might be kind of that power play that Pence was making by trying to tie Soleimani to 9-11. Even though it's completely not true, they could use that as their legal justification. And Eric, boy, does history repeat itself yeah. sometimes, doesn't it? It does. I really hope people are more skeptical this time around. I mean, we had the <laughs> Afghanistan papers come out. It does seem like the average person, even the ones that are conservative, do not want to get into another war. We've been in this quagmire mm-hmm. forever. But I've noticed a lot of the media does try to – I've heard uh, Soleimani referred to as terrorist multiple times. And it's like, well, he's an official head general of – in Iran. Yeah, he's part of a sovereign state. He's not a terrorist. A terrorist. Yeah. And even, you know, attacks that he may or may not have been involved with the United States. And it's like, well, we have military bases surrounding his country. I'm sure the Iranians maybe don't see this as terrorism. 
Mm-hmm. They say the U.S. is terrorist here. I mean, if you're going by a technical book definition, the worst you could say about him is that he did sponsor terrorism, sure. but he was not, as you said, a terrorist himself because he is a general in a sovereign state that is recognized by the United Nations and every country around the world. That's what I worry is just anyone who's opposing the U.S. in any form is a terrorist now. And that, yeah, really kind of just completely demeans the word terrorist if one can even do that. And, yeah, it is concerning that, yeah, when you have the media referring to him as a terrorist, because I've noticed that kind of like you have, too, where you see a lot of the corporate media actually saying he's a terrorist. And even going back and kind of talking about history, it does seem a little bit like 2002 and 2003, where they are kind of beating the drums towards war, although I at least am a little bit more optimistic than what happened in 2002 and 2003, being that we do have much more of a jaded public uh, looking back at that poll we talked about yesterday, only 43% of Americans actually supported the assassination of Soleimani. I believe it was 38% that were opposed and everyone else was undecided. And I was actually pleasantly surprised by that poll because I thought that would be well over 50% just because you often hear that language about him being a terrorist and being someone who's killed Americans over the years. I thought that number might be well over 50%. And as we were talking about too, People just do not have an appetite for another foreign war, and I think that's actually true for both liberals and conservatives. But you know what? Once you start getting that drumbeat towards war and once you start having people wear waving American flags and putting those old bumper stickers on the backs of cars that say support our troops, it doesn't take much to actually rally everyone around a war because, well – yeah, you get to say you support the troops. Everyone gets very patriotic. So, yeah, even though the public is very skeptical towards war, I, I unfortunately don't think it would take very much to get people fired up about it again, similar to like we had back in 2002 and 2003. I at least hope the climate has changed. Polling data has showed that it has occurred, but boy, you still never know, especially with the fact that we already are seeing the administration tie, trying to tie this guy, Soleimani, to 9-11. All right, before we head to some local news for today, because I want to cover some congressional races, including this guy Dan Fian, who is the DFLer running against running in CD1 against Jim Hagedorn, even though he lost very narrowly back in 2018, I had kind of dismissed his chances in 2020, being that he's running against incumbent and had already lost in 2018, which was a very friendly Democratic year. Well, he actually has some interesting numbers that could give us a reason for optimism. But before we get to those news stories about the congressional races as well as some other local stories, let's talk to Randy in St. Cloud who wants to chime in about terrorism. Hi there, Randy. What's on your mind today? Yeah, I want to blow up about terrorism. Um, uh, I appreciate you taking my call. You know, we keep doing the same thing, and we did it in Vietnam based on lies. We did it in Iraq based on lies. A lot of Afghanistan was actually lies. It's kind of funny you bring that up. I mean, have we really had a war that was actually based on real facts? Just about every war we You go back to the the War of 1898 with the Spanish-American War, that was based on lies. Just about everything was. The Civil War was pretty much straight up. Do we get to have slaves or not? Right. So we had a war. It wasn't about honor, and those generals were traitors and all that. But, you know, it sounds like, and the news media is 
absolutely complicit because they keep calling this guy a terrorist. Exactly. I don't care what he did. Did we just did? Didn't we just get the Afghan papers, <laughs> Afghanistan papers, where they all of the generals said we have no idea who the enemy is. Mm-hmm. They show up in country and say, "Okay, you, you got a map? Where are the enemy? What? You don't know? What?" They had no idea what they were doing. They didn't know what winning meant. They didn't know what losing meant. They had no idea. And how many years have we were we there? And how much money did we spend? Oh, wait, God, wait. We can't afford. We can't afford good roads. We can't afford high speed rail. That's just that's a bridge too far, man. We got. We just can't afford that. Oh. Yeah. I could go on, but I will let it go at that. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks, Randy. And boy, yeah, if you thought Iraq and Afghanistan were quagmires, wait until you actually have a ground invasion of Iran. And forget about Iran. What happens after we defeat Iran? It, Whatever's going to take that vacuum is going to be 100 times worse. That's at the least point. For the US. Yeah, that's the point I was going to make next because that country is what two and a half times bigger than Iraq, just in terms of area. And then, of course, you're going to have many more sleeper, so-called terrorist cells actually brought up. And One of then, the only things keeping ISIS in check, too, in the region. Yeah, and, and see, that's the thing about dictators you sometimes run into, even like a Saddam Hussein, as I was saying. Even though he's not the best guy in the world, guess what? He did not like al-Qaeda whatsoever, and he probably would not have been a fan of ISIS whatsoever. In fact, if Saddam Hussein was still in power, you probably would not even have ISIS exist. So, yeah, foreign policy is a very messy world. I'm no expert on it, but just looking at it in terms of being black and white obviously is a huge mistake because – you can't just have an axis of evil. If you remember back when Bush made that speech, what was it, back in 2002, where he declared, who are the states in the axis of evil, Eric? Was it uh, Iran, was, North Korea? Who's the third one? I think it was Iraq also. Was Iraq? Yeah. Well, it had to be part of that. Yeah, because obviously that was the justification for going in there. Even then I was thinking, Iran, like, what has Iran really done to us? They don't seem on par with North Korea. And North Korea hasn't really attacked us, but at least they pose like legitimate right. threat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't really hear Iran saying that, oh, we're going to launch a nuclear weapon at the United States of America, the homeland of the United States of America, the actual continental U.S. Yeah, you never really hear that. I think it all just kind of go back, goes back to the overthrowing of the Shah back in 1979 and 1980, where you probably still have some hard feelings with the fact that we used to have someone who was very friendly to Western policies that used to be the head of Iran, and all of a sudden you get uh, someone who is well, not so friendly to uh, the Western world, and yeah, all of a sudden we're not a fan of Iran anymore. We're at 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. Yeah, well, maybe we'll have to talk about these local stories coming up tomorrow, because tell you what, until we get to that interview with Larry Kaur, maybe we'll continue talking about foreign policy. And tell you what, we'll take your phone calls after this break. You are listening to The 4 O'Clock Show with Brett and Eric here on AM 950. At Better Futures Minnesota, we transform the lives of men and support Minnesota's environment by working towards zero waste. Our approach reaffirms each man's dignity and supports self-sufficiency. Better Futures Minnesota is a work training model. 
Through our reuse, retail warehouse, and supervised work crews with specialized in residential and commercial building deconstruction, property maintenance, appliance recycling, and janitorial services, we demonstrate ways to employ hire-to-employ men on a pathway to independence. Hire our work crews at BetterFuturesMinnesota.com. Seward Co-op, serving the community for nearly 45 years, invites you to shop their two convenient locations, both offering the strong commitment to local producers and healthy foods you've come to expect. Seward focuses on locally grown and raised products, fair trade, and environmental sustainability. Shop their selection of meats, artisan cheeses, and house-made baked goods. Find Seward at 2823 East Franklin Avenue or the Friendship Store on 38th Street and 3rd Avenue in Minneapolis. More at seward.coo. This is Chad, owner of AM950. I've been telling you about my friends at Snap Construction who are arguably the most well-reviewed exterior construction company in the metro. Don't just take my word for it. Take a look at all their reviews online. Winter is the most cost-effective time of the year to complete your construction project. A majority of Minnesotans choose to have their work completed on their home in the summer when they should be enjoying the weather. As a result, the demand for labor in the summer is much higher. The most cost-effective way to improve or restore your home is in the winter due to the lower demand. Right now, Snap Construction is offering an additional 30% off of labor to the AM950 listeners on your next construction project between now and the end of February. Call 612-333-SNAP and mention AM950 for an additional 30% off. As always, Snap Construction stands by their work with a lifetime craftsmanship warranty. Don't wait to get a free estimate by calling 612-333-SNAP or find them online at snapconstruction.com. Financing options available. The British are coming! The British are coming! (laughs) The British are coming! Hey, you there! I'm Paul Revere! The British are coming! Where is everyone? Ben Franklin dispatched an evacuation morning on Facebook. Didn't you get it? Hi, I'm Chad Hobart with Social Media MN. If your marketing is behind the times, contact us today online at socialmediamn.com or at 763-244-4058. We can help your business message get dispatched and selected on social media and Google search. We offer uncomplicated, results-driven, and affordable internet marketing solutions for businesses of all sizes. SocialMediaMN.com or 763-244-4058. Back on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Coming up next segment, we will be speaking with Larry Korb, the Assistant Secretary of Defense uh, back in the 80s and the 90s. He's a foreign policy expert as we're going to take a deeper look at the background of Soleimani and also what could happen in the aftermath of his assassination. But in the meantime, have full phone lines, so we will take your calls up until that point. So let's get things started and... uh, Actually, we'll get to Julie in Minneapolis in just a moment. Again, we're at 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205 if you want to chime in about any of those topics. As uh, Coming up, uh, we are going to be talking about this distinction as well between uh, Sunnis and Shiites because that is very important to make as well in terms of Soleimani and his opposition to ISIS. But let's go to Julie in Minneapolis first. Hi there, Julie. What's on your mind today? Hi. I'd say I just turned in, but, you know, in a way, this is the same old story that Republicans have pulled for decades. 
let's run up the deficit insanely high. A war, eh, that's even better. And then the Democrats come to power, and it's, we can't afford anything. And, oh, <laughs> look at the deficit. Look at the deficit. So, anyway, uh, this dire case of dastardly dumb Donald, and it's pretty obvious, maybe you've mentioned it, but this is a sure way, they think, to get reelected. Start mm-hmm. a war. When you're acting as commander-in-chief, it's tried and true that people shut up and listen to you, and they don't pay any attention to any of the other details like, oh, I don't know, impeachment. But when you act in commander-in-chief, uh, it shows your strength, blah, blah, blah. I remember back to 2004, the old saying the Bush campaign put out there, it was, don't change horses midstream. Gosh, that one bugged me back in 2004 when they used that as their old uh, campaign slogan. And see, I'm a little more pessimistic that that could work if they were to launch a full-scale war with Iran simply because the public, it's still fresh in our minds, the quagmire we had in Iraq and Afghanistan. And even when you look at polling data showing that people are generally against Another foreign war, which was much different than we had in the aftermath of 9-11 when, when it was support for the Iraq war with us, I think, well over 60%. So certainly is a different time, I think, than we had back in 2002, 2003, and even into 2004. But as I brought up, yeah, as soon as you actually launch that ground invasion, sometimes uh, people's thinking can change it's when like, they oh, see – they're responsible for a thousand military deaths. It's like, well, we're at war with them and then starts wrapping up. Yeah, you know? and once you can start Snowballs. waving those American flags and hanging shoes on trees and putting those bumper stickers on your car, it's very easy sometimes to change your thinking when originally you might have been in favor of war. So yeah, even though I'm kind of pessimistic it would actually help him in a reelection campaign. You still never know once you actually do launch that full-scale war if the thinking of people do does end up changing. All right, time for one more phone call before we head to our break. Let's talk to Mark in Fridley, who actually wants to make the point I was going to talk about, the distinction between Sunnis and Shiites. So, Mark, I'll let you take it from there. Well, this is that's the basis of this fundamental fight between these two Muslim factions that have been fighting since the time of Christ. Mm-hmm. But we need to look at our American foreign policy. Our Secretary of Defense comes from Raytheon Corporation. Eisenhower warned us of the military-industrial complex. Mike Pompeo, who bragged about these are his exact words, and he gave a press conference today, but he was at a year ago, he was at Texas A&M University. And he said when he was leading the CIA, these are his words, we lied, we cheated, we stole. We had entire training courses on this. Now, both of them today gave press conferences, and they both said, ignore what the president is saying. Ignore what the president is doing. Trust us. So you've got a guy that represents the military-industrial complex, and you've got a guy who brags about deceiving, lying. And and I heard that Tom Hartman today spent quite a bit of time today on the uh, subject matter I brought up yesterday about Pompeo trying to bring about revelations in the end of days to start this war with Iran. But I just want to make this point out to you. Um, In 2014, the American Journal of Public Health came out with a report and a study, and they said the prevention of war rationale and competencies and here's what they found and again this is not a think tank this is a academic institution Mm 
And here's after their discovery they found out. Since the end of World War II, there have been 248 armed conflicts in 153 locations around the world. The United States launched 201 overseas military operations between the end of World War II and 2001. And since then, others, including Afghanistan, Iraq, during the 20th century, 190 million deaths could be directly and indirectly related to war, more than in the previous four centuries. We had a guy who was the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, and um, he, he gave a testimony. Well, we got a few uh, more seconds left here, Mark, unfortunately. He gave a testimony. His name was uh, uh, General Dempsey, and he told the Senate Armed Services Committee, and specifically Lindsey Graham, that we have major allies who fund ISIS. All right, thanks for the call there, Mark. Uh, unfortunately, we will have to leave it there as we are going to get my, with my interview with Larry Korb coming up in just a couple of seconds. But first, we'll get to the news from Public News Service and their 2020 talks. Welcome to 2020 Talks, where we track the 2020 election process from the Analysis on Grand Avenue in St. Paul has been a leader in permanent hair removal for people of all skin types and backgrounds for over 30 years, celebrating diversity and priding themselves on finding the right treatment plan for each client's individual needs, regardless of race or gender. Services include electrolysis, body waxing, facials, microneedling, and permanent makeup. Book your 60-minute complimentary consultation, including a 15-minute treatment today, for beautiful, lasting results. Visit BrendingElectrolysis.com. With your AM950 weather, this is Eric Nelson. Tonight's skies will be mostly clear with a low around negative 2. Tomorrow, a chance of flurries after 3 p.m. with a high of 16 and a low around 15. Thursday, cloudy with a high near 40 and a low around 15, while Friday will be cloudy with a high of 19 and a low around 2. Eat local Minnesota.com's restaurant of the week is Victor's 1959 Cafe, a unique local restaurant offering one-of-a-kind food and atmosphere, focusing on traditional Cuban recipes in a relaxed, casual, and festive Cuban environment. Check them out at 3756 Grand Avenue in South Minneapolis. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, Brett Johnson on the 4 o'clock show. So obviously after what happened on Friday, tensions have been increasing in the Middle East and in Iran. So to join us on the program to explain what's happening there and some of the responses Iran might have to what happened on Friday, we're joined now by Larry Korb. He is a senior fellow at the American Progress Action Fund, and he's the former Assistant Secretary of Defense back in the 80s, and his work focuses on military and defense budget policy, and he is also an expert on foreign policy. So, Larry, thanks so much for joining us on the program today. It's nice to be with you. Absolutely. So... Let's start off with some real basic questions about what happened last Friday. Can you tell us about this General Soleimani and what his role was in Iran and what he's been doing over the past few years and decades? Okay. General Soleimani is the head of what we call the Iraqi Quds Force, which is kind of like our special forces. And uh, he is the mastermind behind the Iranian influence, military influence in the uh, in the Middle East. Uh, for example, when we invaded Iraq, 
they, the Iranians were afraid we'd come there, and Soleimani, you know, mobilized the uh, Quds force to actually, he ended up, as you may recall the president saying, resulting in the deaths of about 600 Americans who were fighting uh, in Iraq at the, uh, at the time. In many ways, he is kind of like the number two person uh, in Iran after the Ayatollah. Everybody reveres him. He's not just another general. He happens to be, you know, kind of the equivalent of, uh, you know, Eisenhower or MacArthur or something, uh, something like that. And uh, basically, he has been, uh, you know, he has been the uh, the person that responsible for all of the things that Iran has done, for example, recently, uh, you know, targeting the Saudi oil fields, uh, the, you you know, the help keeping Assad in power in uh, in Syria, getting the Leb, you know, the Hezbollah in Lebanon to, you know, cause problems for the Israelis. Yeah, and it is an interesting background that he has, as I read about it, because he was also pretty instrumental in helping fight ISIS. So it's not necessarily a black and white world where we can say, oh, well, he was a completely evil person because actually he did help fight ISIS back a, a few years ago. No, in fact, you know, when people look at our relations with Iran, they need to put things into context. I don't want to go too long back, but in 1953, Iran had a democracy. The British were concerned that the democratically elected government, <clears throat> Mossadegh was the name of the leader, was going to nationalize you know, what has eventually become known as BP. They convinced us to work with them to get rid of him because they said, you know, he was going to ally himself with the Soviet Union, which, you know, back then was on the border uh, with Iran when they controlled places like Kazakhstan and Tajikistan. And so we got rid of him and put the Shah in there. And that's why, you know, because and he was no, you know, put it bluntly, day at the beach here, you know, the way he ran the place with his secret police and and, and everything. And that's one of the reasons why they stormed the uh, stormed the embassy after 9-11, the Iranians held a candlelight vigil and they helped us in Afghanistan to drive out the Taliban and al-Qaeda and also got their allies in uh, <clears throat> Afghanistan to support Karzai. And I was involved in this because I was then at the Council on Foreign Relations in New York and they, you know, the Iranians have an embassy and I got invited over to make sure the American government knew that they were going to, that they would help. And you know what they got for their reward? They got put on the axis of evil in uh you know in in 2002 but Soleimani was involved in you know helping us drive out the Taliban and al-Qaeda out of uh, of Afghanistan remember how quickly we got them out now we didn't do much we didn't you know have a good follow-up policy but we drove them out in a couple of weeks so I think you need to put that in the context and where Soleimani got his start was in the early 80s when Iraq attacked Iran, including using chemical weapons. He was, you know, that's when he rose up through the ranks. And that was a horrible war, which we basically, we were de facto allies of Iraq during it. And you may remember we shot down an Iranian civilian airliner by mistake. Oh, yeah, that was, uh, yeah, that was back in the 80s, if I remember correctly. You're right, that was 1988. So, uh, you know, we, uh, you know, we did that. So, yeah, I think, and you know, that's how, you know, Soleimani, you know, he got his, you know, start in that war and then, you know, in the others and then in Iraq. And then when we went back into Iraq in 2014, 
because ISIS, I mean, the Iraqi forces, which he had, we had trained, were all running. They weren't even defending their you know, cities that looked like Baghdad would fall. We went in, and he came in with us to fight ISIS. So let's talk about what the U.S. is hoping to get out of assassinating Soleimani, because one of the terrifying scenarios I saw some media outlets reporting was that basically Trump's advisor presented him with several options with this idea of killing Soleimani as so-called being the crazy option to make everything else look more reasonable, which, if that is true, that's a pretty terrifying well, thing. Well, yeah, there's no doubt about the fact that's what the career people did. But Pompeo and Esper, who were West Point classmates, I mean, Pompeo has been after Soleimani all his time, you know, both when he was with the CIA and before he moved over to the State Department. So I'm sure he's the one that convinced Trump to take that uh, that particular option. And the idea was, well, if you eliminate him, then you won't have, you know, Iranians threaten America and their interest in the region, you know, whether by, you know, missile attacks on Saudi oil fields or, you know, uh, harassing the uh, the ships in the Strait of, uh, you know, Hormuz or shooting down American drones. So how is this going to affect what's happening in Iraq? Because obviously Soleimani had a major impact on the Iraqi government. He was a very influential person. So what are we expecting to happen in that country, too? Well, we've already seen that. When, before we killed Soleimani, we retaliated against the attacks uh, that <clears throat> were pushed by groups probably under the control of the Iranians that ended up killing, you know, one American uh, civilian contractor. And we attacked, uh, you know, five uh, bases in Iraq and Syria, killing some 25 Iraqi uh, soldiers and wounding another 50. The Iraqi government told us not to do it. In fact, when Pompeo called to tell the prime minister, he said, no, we don't want you to do that. So they were already upset. And then by killing uh, Soleimani on Iraqi soil, and don't forget, they also killed an Iraqi general there, uh, you know, in the in the attack. They basically, the prime minister put a resolution in that was passed by the parliament that said, you know, we ought to leave. Now, it's not binding because the prime minister's a caretaker right now. And, you know, we probably could, you know, uh, run out the clock there. But it, it goes to show you what happened, because previous to this, the Iraqi people were demonstrating against Iranian influence in the country. Now, of course, it's against U.S. Uh, influence. Yeah, and, and it's tough to blame them when you have someone being assassinated in a foreign government on in a third country overall. I mean, because I, I, I think it's important to point out the distinction between killing someone like an Osama bin Laden or Baghdadi who recently was assassinated versus someone like Soleimani who actually is part of an official nation state. And then you add to the fact that you're killing him in a third country overall. It just is very problematic yeah, I, in my eyes. Yeah, I mean, can you imagine if during the Cold War when Khrushchev visited Berlin or something, we, you know, killed him. I mean, again, these are horrible people. Don't get me wrong, but no, you don't do that. Or the Chinese that were responsible for Tiananmen Square. And, and uh, you know, when they, they then we met with them, no, that's right. I mean, this Iraq, Iran is a sovereign state and he is an official in the state. So let's talk about a possible response from Iran, because at least today I saw that a senior Iranian commander threatened at Soleimani's funeral to set ablaze America's supporters in the region. But then we had Iran's foreign minister telling CBS News that the response would be more proportionate and against legitimate targets. So 
What sorts of retaliations are we going to be seeing from Iran, being that we've had yeah. mixed signals kind of from their officials? Yeah, I think what you're going to see, cyber attacks for one thing, you know, against the U.S. banking system. <clears throat> I think you're going to see maybe harassing ships in the Persian Gulf to and Strait of Hormuz to prevent oil from, you know, uh, go, getting to, to, the, uh, uh, to the markets, uh, maybe having the Houthis or their allies in Yemen launch missile attacks against uh, Saudi Arabia are, you know, stepping up the pressure on Israel, you know, in, uh, in you know, with the, the Hezbollah and Lebanon. Those are the type of things I think you're going to see. I don't think you're going to see, you know, the Iranians do a 9-11 attack or anything like that. And looking at this situation, too, at least in terms of the prospect of a full-scale war, it seems to me both sides don't necessarily want a full-scale war. For the Iranians' perspective, that's certainly very obvious. But even from the American perspective, you look at even the overall public's feeling about a full-scale war, it does not seem like they would be very supportive of that. So it would seem like both sides, to me, are not interested in having a full-scale conflict in Iran. Do you have kind of the same thoughts on that as well? Yeah, yeah. I I mean, Trump promised to get us out of these wars. Do you know how many troops we have in the Middle East now? 60,000. Wow. I mean, people, you know, he was going to get us out and the Pentagon said, no, we're going to focus on China and Russia. Got 60,000 troops there. No, he doesn't want one. On the other hand, he doesn't want to be seen as weak. He was very upset after when the the Iranians attacked the Saudi oil fields. We didn't do something. You know, some of his hardline critics criticized him. So now he's saying, yeah, see, I showed you I can I can still uh, do it. Uh, yeah, I mean, a war against the rank, you know, Iran is, you know, two and a half times bigger than Iraq. And look how tough that was. And yeah, absolutely. The, and they also have a much stronger military than what Iraq had back in 2002 and 2003. Oh, very definitely. And, you know, they're starting to move toward nuclear weapons again here. So, no, I don't think either side wants it, but neither side wants to look like they're you know, caving in or losing face. And that's what you have to be worried about where, you know, people, you know, underestimate, uh, you know, the impact of uh, what they do. I think, you know, Trump was dumbfounded with Soleimani, the way the Iraqis acted. And don't forget the Iranian people were upset about their economy and they were protesting. Now they're all against us. Yeah, I was you know, going to, he, yeah, I was going to ask you about that because it seems like it actually has kind of united that country where before, as you brought up, yeah, there was a lot of unrest and unpopularity among the government. Right. And, you know, the sanctions were causing a lot of problems. So you're increasing our leverage to get them back to the table, which is what Trump has been trying to do. Remember, he sent the Japanese prime minister over there. He tried to talk to Rouhani during the U.N. meeting. Mm hmm. Absolutely. So there's another angle I want to talk about, and these were these comments yesterday made by Vice President Mike Pence where he was trying to tie Soleimani to 9-11. And the part where, at least from a political strategy that I was thinking when he made these comments, was that by trying to tie Soleimani to 9-11, even though that's obviously not the case, it could be used as justification going back to that old uh, piece of legislation that was passed, I think, back in 2002 and 2003, where you can launch a military invasion, basically, if someone was tied to 9-11. So could that be part of his thinking in trying to tie Soleimani to 9-11? 
Oh, yeah, very definitely, because 9-11 is sort of like Pearl Harbor. It's one of those things that resonates with American people. But, you know, the 9-11 Commission didn't. And as I told you, they held the Iranians held a candlelight vigil after they were the only Muslim country to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And so, yeah, that just way off the it's not true, not backed up uh, by any, you know, objective analysis uh, of it. I mean, the real, if you want to hold somebody responsible, it's our quote unquote Trump's friends, the Saudis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So as we were kind of talking about the possible response we might see from the Iranians and probably the re-response by the U.S. once Iran does something is maybe something more of a proxy war. So could we go through some of the targets that Iran might target and then some of the things we might target here in the U.S. as a response to what the Iranians do? Well, yeah, I mean, as I mentioned before, liable to be Saudi oil fields, uh, the Golan Heights, you know, in Israel, the American forces in Syria, uh, I mean, those those are the type of things or align themselves with ISIS temporarily, you know, to uh, cause cause problems. And don't forget the Saudis. You know, I don't know if you remember that they almost they try to assassinate the Saudi ambassador to the United States about five years ago. Really? So, yeah, that, that one. I don't actually remember that. Wow, that's unbelievable. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, there are things that they could do Our, you know, I think our hands other than more economic sanctions or, uh, you know, maybe attacking a, a Iranian ship if they do anything in the in, you know, in the Gulf. I mean, that type of uh, type type of thing or, uh, um, um you know, increasing our, you know, force presence in Syria to fight the, to, to, to fight the Iranians there. Well, and you mentioned the Saudis, who are the other major power in the Middle East. What has their reaction been from this assassination on Friday? Have we gotten much of a read from how they have responded and what they think? No, they haven't said anything because obviously they see Iran as their main threat. You know, the great irony is the Saudis have begun to try and have talks with the Iranians before this all started. And, uh, you know, basically, so they're kind of confused about because they thought we would be leaving. You know, Secretary of Defense Esper said, you know, getting out of this region, going to go to the Pacific. And uh, Biden in the campaign said he's going to transfer 60 percent of the Navy to the <clears throat> Pacific. So they were trying to store and there has been a theory, I don't, it hasn't been proven, that Soleimani was in Iraq to try and get involved in those talks. All right, one final question for you, Larry, and this has to do with this idea. I know you mentioned this earlier in the interview, and that is cyber tax, because my question for you is whether Iran actually possesses the technology to launch cyber attacks to disable things like major electrical electrical grids or other utilities or would it be at a much smaller scale because maybe they don't have the technological abilities to disrupt things like that they don't but they can work with the russians you know don't forget putin would love to do this and blame it on the uh blame it on the iranians wow that is yeah certainly kind of a terrifying point and yeah yeah because don't forget they just had naval exercises with the Russians and the Chinese and the Russians and the Chinese support the nuclear accord. Mm-hmm. And, and then and, looking at it too, it seems like the Russians do have obviously much warmer relations with the Iranians than we do. Oh yeah. And as do the Chinese, that's where they get most of their oil from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that could certainly be uh, 
yeah, as you're saying, they probably don't have the technology to disrupt major electrical grids or big utilities here in this country. But as you're saying, yeah, they could easily work with another power like China or Russia. And yeah, it does kind of work out well if you're the Russians, because then you can just say, oh, it wasn't us. It was Iran. And mm-hmm. well, you can yeah. definitely see where that goes. And then Trump saying, oh, well, we have to go after Iran because they disrupted our electrical grids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Not, not, not my, I'm not going after my friend Putin. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> We've been speaking with Larry Korb. He is a senior fellow at American Progress Action Fund, and also he was the former sec, and also he is a former assistant secretary of defense back in the '80s. And he and his work focuses on military and defense budget policy. And he is also an expert on foreign policy. So, Larry, really appreciate you joining me on the program today and talking about what's happening in the Middle East. Okay, it was it was great to be with you. Uh, and thanks for having me. Call me anytime. You got my number. And as I talked about on yesterday's program, I don't think we'll end up having a full-scale war with Iran. But you know what? Who knows when you have someone as erratic as Trump in the White House? Got one segment left on the show, and we'll get to that coming up next. Come experience Nightingale at 26th and Lindale in Minneapolis for mulled wine and delicious signature dishes from Chef Carrie and her team. Nightingale is perfect for special occasions with extensive wine, beer, and cocktail selections, along with their dedication to great service. Open every day till 2 a.m. with a full menu served until 1 a.m. and two award-winning happy hours daily. Plus, there's a weekend brunch at 10 a.m. Find more at NightingaleMPLS.com. Back in January 2018, the tax laws changed. You probably won't get a tax deduction for donating your vehicle to Auto Technical or any nonprofit, and it's going to put us out of business. Over the past 30 years, our charitable mission has been reconditioning vehicles for thousands of families. Many vehicles are reconditioned and sold to the public. We are self-supporting, but donations have dropped by more than 80%. We can hold on until November, December, but without your help, we'll be forced to close the doors. The Tubman Shelter Workforce Training Center will no longer be able to refer clients to us for free cars. Please, please help us. Call me if you have a vehicle to donate. Richard at autotech.org, 612-919-5526. 612-919-5526. Autotechnical.org. I'm attorney Rachel Schroman of Schroman Law, and I've got you covered. I provide trusted legal advice in wills and trusts, supplemental and special needs trusts, powers of attorney, health care directives, probate, financing long-term care, medical assistance planning, and prenuptial and postnuptial agreements. These are areas of law that are intensely personal in nature, and I don't take the responsibility of providing counsel around such issues lightly. Learn more at shromanlaw.com. That's S-C-H-R-O-M-E-N-Law.com. Native Ritz Radio is proud to announce we've added an extra hour. Yeah, Chuchke, one hour goes by too fast. That's right, Uncle Curtis. I'll have extra time to share important information about our secret animals. And report national and native news from all over the country and Canada. This new hour is sponsored by Robbins Kaplan LLP, dedicated to redefining excellence for high-stakes litigation representation in Indian country. Saturdays from 1 to 3 p.m. We are awake. I'm Dr. Thomas Adams, President and CEO of Better Futures Minnesota. 
We're a social enterprise dedicated to rebuilding lives through housing, workforce development, health and family engagement, and coaching supports that give men the skills and relationships they need to succeed. Better Futures Minnesota engages men who had a history of incarceration, homelessness, poverty, untreated mental and physical health challenges to help them achieve self-sufficiency and a better future for themselves and their communities. Visit us at BetterFuturesMinnesota.com to learn how you can support our enterprise. And we're back on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Brett, on a Tuesday afternoon, our final segment. So tomorrow, did you know, Michael Bloomberg is going to be coming to Minnesota. Not to the Twin Cities, though. You're going to have to go to southern Minnesota to see him, as the former New York mayor plans to visit a soybean farm in the southern Minnesota town of Wells to talk to voters about rural economic issues, according to his campaign. Well, I did at least send an email to his campaign inviting him on our 4 o'clock show, although I wouldn't get your hopes up that we actually will get Michael Bloomberg on our 4 o'clock show. That would certainly be a fun interview, though. And one final note, again, on January 29th, David Schultz and I are going to be at Hamlin University as Professor Schultz is going to be giving an impeachment talk and also doing a Q&A forum. Again, that's January 29th at Hamlin University. It'll be at Anderson Room 305 from 7 until about 8.30 or 9 o'clock. We'll have details posted on that at am950radio.com. And that's going to be all the time we have for our show today. We will be back with a live show tomorrow, taking your phone calls. Thanks for listening.